0: Sometimes people are like, what's made the ice cream company work? What's made it successful? Nothing brilliant. But it's just that when stuff has stopped working, we've figured out a way to fix it. When we've almost run out of money, we figured out a way to find more money. We just really hustled.
1: So Ben, thanks for taking the time to join the show. It's a pleasure to have you on today. Pleasure. I want to begin a little bit with the ice cream trucks. You're making 500 bucks a week selling ice cream on the streets of New York. Why ice cream trucks? So, my first summer job in college was
0: driving a good humor ice cream truck. A good humor ice cream truck is the old fashioned ice cream truck. We sold strawberry shortcake bars, chocolate eclair bars, cotton candy swirl popsicles that we bought for, I think, 10 cents and sold for $1.50. So, we had a gross margin of like, you know, 90 something percent on those ones. And I did that. In Connecticut, after my senior year of high school, before college, that was the first summer I did. It. I did it for three summers. We rented for, I think, $175 a week. When I say we, I mean my brother Peter and I, an old Chevrolet step pan. I think it was 1960-something. We broke down constantly, and we bought the ice cream and marked it up, and we did really well. Um, the second summer I did it, I managed to save about $30,000. From running this ice cream truck, um you know that was from May till October, so a little bit longer than the summer. I did not want to go back to college. um I didn't like college um I like learning, yeah you know, I, I love learning, but I don't think I had enough world experience to want to just sit in the same place for four years and learn um but again, because of where I grew up, the normal thing to do is go to college. The way you succeed in life and find happiness is going to college, right? I, I don't that, 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 That's what we're sort of taught. I didn't go back to college, though. I took a year off and traveled around Southeast Asia and Europe with that money I saved from the ice cream truck. And in those travels, I became even more into food. So where I grew up, good food was for foodies or gourmands, right? One and the same. Um, when you go to Italy, when you go to Vietnam, when you go to Thailand, I mean, when you go to most of Europe and Asia... If you're a human there, you care about food. You care about ingredients. You can talk about that. And I was so excited by that.
1: So after you dropped out of college, you're selling ice cream. What was going through your mind on the next steps? Uh, in I did go back life? to college. Oh, you did. Okay. I did
0: go back to college. Again, I, I don't know that I had to. I guess I'm glad I did because I'm somewhat happy with where I've ended up professionally. Um, but I take that trip. I do then my last summer of selling ice cream off of the truck. I go back to college. I finish college. And I did okay in college. My GPA was 2.9. Fine. I wouldn't even say good, right? 3.0, you could say good. 2.9, you could say fine. Like, not terrible. I wanted a really good job, though. A really good fancy corporate job where I could make a good living, right? I was scared. I wanted to survive in life. And Not only did I not get a job, I didn't even get any interviews, Um, but one day in spring, I think it was my spring break of my senior year of college, I was likely staying with my brother, Peter, who lived in Brooklyn. I was walking around Bryant Park, and I saw a Mr. Softy truck, an ice cream truck, and that was the moment where I had the idea to make our own ice cream truck and make our own ice cream. And it was a really simple idea, right? Ice cream trucks work, people like ice cream. Why not make the ice cream on the trucks, even higher quality and now in the business world we say premiumization. So at that time we were premiumizing the ice cream truck model. We were also ultra premiumizing premium ice cream Um, because what we did then, um, which is still what we do now is we use, it's very simple, we use more heavy cream, we use more egg yolks, and we use no stabilizers. So we're making ice cream in the way that a really good classic three Michelin star French pastry chef would make traditional French ice cream. Um, So that's the base of the ice cream. And then to make it special, which again, this is what we started doing almost 16 years ago, we still do it, is we source good ingredients. not just good, but really good. We like to say good instead of great because we think it sounds more confident and you trust people who say good more than great. It's calm. So pistachios from Bronte Sicily, chocolate from small farms in Ecuador, whole bourbon and Tahitian vanilla beans. So really simple stuff.
1: You mentioned you made $30,000 from doing ice cream trucks, I believe you started the business with around thirty or $60,000. Um, meaning you didn't have much external capital to scale. Due to that, you actually bought old USPS postal trucks um, and retrofitted them as ice cream trucks, right? Yes. So
0: we started the business with $60,000 from friends and family. At that time, a new truck that could be retrofitted into an ice cream truck would cost $70,000 for the truck and then another fifty to turn into an ice cream truck. So how did we do all of that with $60,000? We actually built two trucks. I bought used post office trucks on eBay. They were 1988 P30 step vans, Chevrolets. I think we paid $2,500 for one, $5,000 for another. Um, And we found somebody who could turn those into ice cream trucks, which entailed cutting holes in the side, putting aluminum framed windows in, putting chest freezers in, um, and we also bought vintage Chevrolet grills, not vintage grills, but new production Chevrolet grills that were from vintage models of old kind of like milk trucks. So we gave them this soft, friendly, um, kind of 1950s, 1960s look, a little bit different than our aesthetic now. It was hard work though. I mean, really, really, really hard. I mean, obviously the credit cards were maxed out, but yeah, starting with 60 grand food business, New York City. There's no production facility built. There's no money for that. So co-manufactured for the first two years. Then we pivoted to do our own manufacturing, which we still do a lot of in Brooklyn.
1: What advice would you give to other entrepreneurs who maybe don't have a lot of capital that want to sell physical goods to customers?
0: I mean, for, for, for any entrepreneur, it's, it's all execution. Focus on every detail, but prioritize those details, right? So figure out the top 10 details, the top 10 things that you're doing that really matter. You know, so that's probably product. Um, In our case, it was hospitality, it was service, and it was environment. What do the trucks look like? What do the stores look like? Um, And if you figure that stuff out, you'll probably generate some revenue. And then just watch your expenses, right? You got to bring in more than you're spending. Otherwise it doesn't work. I I would argue that it's actually like irresponsible to run unprofitable businesses that are completely propped up by private equity and venture capital because it again, I, I don't I, I don't have an MBA center or, or and I'm not an economist. So there's probably terms to describe what I'm describing, but it's it's unrealistic competition that could put other people out of business who are actually doing something in a viable
1: way. When you had those uh, USPS trucks that you bought for 2,500 bucks, you actually started um, running these, I believe in Soho in the spring of 2008. Did building the business in 2008 during a recession have an impact or bring up any unforeseen challenges to the growth of the business?
0: We don't know because we we had no previous sales to compare it to. Maybe, maybe we would have done more if there wasn't a recession. But we're selling at that time cones of ice cream for $3.50. They say ice cream is an affordable luxury, so it's recession proof. And we opened and there was a splash. Um, There was a lot of attention and there were lines at
1: the trucks. So it was okay. What caused that attention, uh, that initial attention?
0: Um, We parked on the corner of Green and Prince in Soho on around July 20th on a Monday. That was our first day in business. It was 80 degrees outside. It was sunny. It was a butter yellow truck with menus that had botanical drawings of the ingredients. So it was like a botanical drawing of a vanilla orchid and a cacao pod and a red currant plant for a red currant ice cream and a cool ginger blossom for a ginger ice cream. So the truck was really distinct, um, particularly distinct from food trucks at the time because I I mean, I love all food trucks, but it was you know the classic food trucks. It was hot dog carts, it was pretzel carts, it was the Mister Softy trucks. So people really noticed us, and ice cream wasn't as artisanalized, premiumized. There wasn't as much, you know. There's Haagen Dazs, there's Ben and Jerry's, good stuff. I like it, but there weren't as many shops or there were very few shops doing what we're doing with the really good ingredients and New Yorkers, especially like people like sniff that out. They smell it, they see it and they gravitate towards it. So people got it. They got us and they came to the truck,
1: which was really cool. Now you have a good product in your words, and that can go a lot of uh, a long way, but in order for customers to keep coming back over and over again and do reap repeat orders, it means you don't only sell good ice cream, but it's so good um, that people spread it through word of mouth. What were some of the components that it took to get customers to be loyal repeat buyers?
0: So craveability is the key. Um, So vanilla, right, make a really good vanilla that people don't want to try once, but they eat and they want to eat for the rest of their lives. Two, the, the most challenging part of innovation in the ice cream business is making new flavors that are hits. What is a hit, right? It's a flavor that sells a lot. It's a flavor that competes with vanilla and honeycomb. Um, so the way we determine what a hit is, is two ways. One, when we're tasting flavors, we have like 10 people sitting around a table and we bring out four new flavors and or maybe we bring out six new flavors and we don't ask people what they think of them because all ice cream is good. It's true, right? You're never going to say it's bad. It's cold, it's sweet, it's creamy. So instead of asking people, what do you think of these flavors? We just see what gets eaten. And that is almost always going to correlate with how quickly it will sell. The other thing we do is we launch four specials every season into every scoop shop. If one of those specials is high velocity, so it turns a lot more than the others and is in the top five, we'll consider displacing the bottom performing flavor with that flavor. So that was a very technical way of saying how we try to, you know, generate an environment for, you know, that creates loyalty and repeat business. The other way is service. And service is actually harder to execute on than product. Product we have complete control of, right? We formulate it, we make it, we taste it, and it's exactly how we want it to be. Service is, you know, Gabby and over a thousand other people yeah. who are working in the shops, um, and our job as operators is to make their jobs as easy as possible, as fun as possible. But we believe that the environment piece, so store design and service and product, the service is actually gonna have the biggest impact on your experience. In good service, we always say that like, good service will make ice cream taste better, it'll make the store look better. Um, bad service will make everything taste worse, look worse. So really going for service, hospitality, that that service starts with how we're serving each other, how we're serving our team. Um, We got to go there to get to where we want to be with our team serving the guests.
1: I heard you now actually open up a new ice cream store basically every other week. How do you build that positive culture and service at scale when you're continuing to expand? Two ways.
0: One is we will not expand too quickly. So this year we will go from about 55 stores to we'll open 25 more. So we'll expand by 50%. So it's a lot, but I wanted to go a little harder, a little faster. And my team, particularly my COO and President Corey, said, you know, if we do that, we're going to have to expand our corporate team a lot. And if we expand our corporate team that rapidly, the culture for better or worse will be disrupted. So it's not expanding too quickly and it's building a really awesome team. You know, it's finding people who are like way better than I am and my co-founders are at doing this stuff. It's so like the people management piece, um, I think at a high level, I'm, I'm okay at it. Um, at the sort of ground operations level, um, I was never... I was good at it on the ground. I could be in the stores and scoop and delegate, but I needed to find people who were really good at that. And more importantly, people who had done that again and again. Um, so yeah, I mean, part of, you know, leading a company isn't obviously I don't know how to do half of what this company needs to, that needs to be done for this company to grow it. But myself and my co-founders, we've gotten good at finding people who are really good at that stuff and sort of saying, okay, we, We see what makes you good and you're the one. How do you find those people? Um, We do not really use headhunters. Um, So a combination of job postings and then networking.
1: And then now, you Van Leeuwen can do upwards of $300,000 a day in revenue at its peak. How did you go from selling ice cream out of a truck to then getting to that 300K revenue mark? What were the steps that it took to get to where you're at now?
0: constant improvement so constant improvement allowed our same store revenues to grow if our same store revenues weren't growing we would not have had the confidence nor would investors have had the confidence to keep going right um so constantly trying to make better ice cream um and then more tactically like hiring really good people um, finding capital. And for us, we started the company with an ice cream truck. By year two, I think we had like five ice cream trucks by the end of year two. And then in year three we opened our first store. I was 23 when I started Van Luen. Laura was 24. My brother was 20. And my brother was about 30. Um, but none of us had any experience managing hospitality businesses with construction. So we had so much to learn. We had so much to learn. So for the first 10 years, I think we got up to 10 stores. So this was five years ago, we had 10 stores. And it was at that point where we said, okay, this model is sort of honed enough. It's good enough to scale it's not perfect right it's yeah. never gonna be perfect but it would so so the step for us because we were young and really inexperienced and super passionate and we we're like really excited to be in the food business and make good ice cream but the necessary step was getting to a place where we said okay this is good enough this is sort of molded enough into what we want it to look like that we know if we open 10 more stores we're gonna be happy with those um versus if we had opened 20 of our year one stores, we wouldn't like them very much. They'd be too small, operationally difficult, not in the right locations. Um, so for us, it was really learning. You know, We practiced. We practiced for 10 years and then we said, okay, let's raise some money and let's grow this business a lot. A lot for us.
1: Have you had any scary moments throughout the growth as an entrepreneur? Um, and if so, what were you going through at that time and how did you overcome it?
0: I mean, Yes, in the moment, very stressful moments, um, but never scary moments. Yeah, I mean, I, I think part of it is, you know, I'm a you know, my my dad's a Holocaust refugee, almost their entire family was killed. So that you know, I, I didn't know them, but in your mind when that's the worst thing that can happen and you're running a business, you perceive like, it differently. Yeah, it's like yeah. what's the worst thing that can happen, right?
1: There's a similar thing with Dame Dash. I think he's one of the artists who discovered Jay Z and Kanye West. He said, "I think his mother died when he was 16." He said, "After that, unless it's no, if unless anybody's dying, then no problem is big enough to be
0: exactly." Yeah, yeah.
1: You have that spirit, entrepreneurial spirit to keep growing. Um, one of the things after interviewing a lot of successful entrepreneurs is they're either running away from something in their past or running towards something. What are you running from or toward? I think running away from sort of any
0: any financial struggle um that you know I experienced like growing up, again, I wasn't we, we we relatively we did not struggle, but growing up in Greenwich, Connecticut, any sort of struggle feels much greater because you're surrounded by such wealth um. Running towards, running towards, um, doing what I, doing something every day that is deeply fulfilling. So running the business overall is deeply fulfilling. And step taking a step back and saying, "This is really cool." You know, we've built this business; we're able to sustain a lot of people's careers with this business. Um, but the sort of everyday fulfillment part for me, I really love making ice cream i love creating ice cream i mean physically not just thinking about the new flavors so right now i am running towards creating a really awesome and i love serving i I love hospitality love serving guests so a consumer facing research and development laboratory in new york city that i spend a lot of my time at um interfacing with guests you know letting people try new things um so that is what I'm running towards right now.
1: What is so deeply fulfilling about that service and hospitality piece?
0: Mm. I don't know, I mean, I've always liked it. You know, it's not just because it's, it's my business. Like I yeah. worked in hospitality. That was my first job, beach snack bar. In college, during the school year, I worked at restaurants, bakeries. Um, so I just always did it. And I'm super social. I'm gregarious. I like talking to people. I like engaging with people. But I guess what's fulfilling about it is like when I work in the ice cream shop, I feel so calm and fulfilled at the end of the day. When I work in the office, I mean, it's important. I do it, right? I get the, I get the job done, but I like being here. Yeah. I really like it. So I want to design something that allows me to do that because I also think it'll be really, really good for the business
1: We have a couple of closing questions that we try to end with before we wrap it up. First is what is the best advice you've ever received?
0: One is you, you learn with your ears, not your mouth. So listen more. Um, particularly when you're interviewing people, I had a bad habit. Our first, like, as we started growing our corporate team, um, Corey, our CEO and president, and I would interview a lot of people. And I remember after one interview, I was like, they were awesome. And Corey was like, Ben, you basically spoke for 95% of the time, telling them about the business. Like, you clearly feel great because you got to talk about yourself and the business. I was like, that is such a good point. Um, so just listen more. Don't say as much. Um, because there's so much to learn, right? The more you know, the more you know there is to know. Um, so that's one piece of really good advice. Um, and then the other is like less a piece of advice and more something that my co-founder Laura always says, and it's like, don't let perfect be the enemy of good. Um, and I know a lot of businesses have sort of their version of this. Um, but it's kind of, and this has always been Laura's style. Just get it done. I'm in some ways I'm a, like a, an unhealthy perfectionist, not m- meaning I just won't do things sometimes. Yeah. like, well, I can't do it perfectly, forget it I'm not going to do it. Whereas Laura's thing is just do it, just do it. So year one before we before we started Van Luen, I was really overwhelmed with writing a business plan. It was summertime, you know I was twenty two years old at this point, and I just like kept putting it off, and Laura and I were married we're best friends still, but we broke up years ago, like a decade ago. But she was like, Ben, just do it. Just do it. Like, it's not going to be perfect. And that's what we've learned. Whatever we do in this business, whether it's designing a new store, whether it's making a new flavor, a year or two down the road, we look back and we say, oh my gosh, what were you thinking? We're so much better at this now. And that's what makes it really fun, right? Because like, You're always learning, right? You're always learning, figuring out better ways to do things, better ways to make ice cream. And it's so cool as it starts to become clear and you think you have it all figured out and you are getting better. And then in two years, you say, Oh my goodness, weren't we cute back then? You know, we thought that's how you sold ice cream.
1: And last one, what advice would you give to the next generation of entrepreneurs?
0: Be sure you like what you do and then like work really hard and like don't give up. You know, that struck us as like the, you know, sometimes people are like, you know, what what's made the ice cream company work? What's made it successful? Nothing brilliant, right? Nothing brilliant at all. I mean, yeah, we care about food. I have a pretty good palate. I'm good at making ice cream. But it's just that when stuff has stopped working, we've figured out a way to fix it. When we've mm-hmm. almost run out of money, we've figured out a way to find more money or, we just really hustled. I know that's it's so generic, but like it's such a hustle. You always you know, we talk about this thing too. It's like you see these businesses that seem like overnight successes. They so rarely are. They so rarely are. They seem like overnight successes because you everybody's everyone learns about the business at the same time, and then it's it's new. but um so often they've been around a really long time, and you know, it's been a slog.
1: Well, that's a great way to end it. Well, thank you very much, Ben, for taking the time to join the show. Appreciate it. Um, Obviously, you can find Van, uh, Van Leeuwen in tons of cities around the United States, in New York, New Jersey, um, and many others. But thank you very much for your time. Appreciate it.